Hello and welcome to I Am Not For Everyone. I am your host, Dr. Lee, and I'm going to be running the alphabet each and every episode and picking a super juicy loaded word, giving you all my thoughts from my perspective as a biracial mom, wife, trauma professional, business coach, and doctorally prepared nurse. Look, nothing is off limits in these episodes. We're going to talk about sex, money, health, relationships, all the things. And I'm likely going to drop a lot of F-bombs. So if that's not your style, this is the point you're going to want to exit. If it is, though, I'm super stoked that you're here with me. And I hope that through these episodes, you start to realize that you're not for everyone either. And that's a really fucking beautiful thing. So sit back, relax, and let's have some fun. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode. R is for race. And I am, I'm going to be completely honest with y'all. This is the episode that I was like, I want to record it so badly. And also I don't want to record this episode. And I have a beautiful, beautiful guest with me, Miss Marion King. And she is one of my favorite humans. And I'm going to let her introduce herself in a minute. But she and I got in a conversation the other day that made me really think, okay, she has to be the guest to come on here. And we were prepping for this and we decided, we were like, you know what? We are going to have a messy conversation. We are going to have a messy conversation. So here is what I need y'all to hear if you are listening to this episode. This is not something where we are speaking for everyone. This is not something where we are espousing views that should be taken as anybody else's views except for our own. And this is something where we are just going to kind of talk freely. And so I want you all to listen to this episode. I invite you to listen to this episode with that lens. And if while you're listening to this, some stuff comes up for you, there's some high sensation, there's some activation, there's a little bit of triggering. Awesome. Because these conversations just really are not happening on a public or in a public forum in a messy way for fear of being taken the wrong way. So Mary and I are being brave and we're going to do this. So without further ado, please, please say hi to everybody and let us just, just tell us all the things. Well, hello again. My name is Marion, Marion E. King. As, as we said, we were having a good conversation the other day and we decided that we were going to talk about it, but I am a, a person that has, you know, lived life, lived situations, and am or have recently discovered that the Black experience is not always just the Black experience. And there's just some things that I would like to talk about. I come from a place where, you know, with my mom, I'm, I'm from a Black household. So I come from the land of what goes on in my house stays in my house. You don't get to express yourself. When you come up that way, you kind of get, as you grow older and become an adult, very careful with your words. And sometimes you don't get involved in certain conversations because you don't know the proper words to say. So I've been, you know, talking with Lee and having some understanding and some epiphanies. And today is the day. So hello, everyone. And yeah, like she said, what we say is not the opinions and the thoughts of everyone. It's just, I'll be speaking from my thoughts, my experiences and my life. I love it. So what prompted this 
conversation. And, and I always say the universe, the universe, God, it all works out exactly how it's supposed to. So I had another like just fabulous guest lined up to do ours for race with me. And she is just having a lot go on in her life. And so we ended up having the conversation of, you know what, we'll table this talk for another time. We'll do this in a different way. And that happened the day before <laughs> Marion and I ended up talking and I was like, oh my gosh, am I going to have to record this episode by myself? Because I don't want to do that. I want to have multiple perspectives on here. I want to have a conversation with somebody else that I feel like really has some value to provide. And then we were in my membership community space, Pleasure Rebel, where you're a member. And we had this really cool experience. It was actually like super transformational for everybody who was on the call. Like everyone who was on this Zoom call was like, holy shit, what just happened? So we had one woman, a white woman who was speaking and her daughter was in the background, just, you know, doing what little kids do, trying to get mommy's attention. And this woman and I have had multiple Zoom calls before. So I know that, you know, we can continue on our conversation without worrying about the daughter because we're going to figure it out. And I think we were even joking about it a little bit. And then Marion, you came on and you said something really, really powerful for the vast majority of that room was white. I will say this, all of my communities are actually very diverse. We have women who identify in all different types of way from who they love, their skin color, their ethnicity, their race, their religion, all of these things. And Marion, can you just speak to like what your what happened in that moment for you? I can. Well, first, I was a bit surprised that, you know, her daughter was in lens and just kept, you know, coming in the camera, coming. Again, this was my first experience with that. So from where I come from, I was a bit kind of taken aback. And when I came on, after she spoke, she was asking, you know, how she could balance what she needed to do and give time in with her daughter and her husband. She was trying to figure out the situation and how to handle all of the things. But as she kept talking, her daughter was, you know, all in the camera with the loudness and everything. And when she got done, I was really leery. Again, I'm not quite sure how to speak sometimes in certain settings. So I came on the camera and I was in tears because I needed to speak what I needed to say, but I didn't have the words. But my my the the, the, the thing was her child being there while she was handling business. And I spoke up and I said, I am like, really, I don't know how to handle this because in my black home, in my black experience, I don't remember when it happened, but I know for sure by three years old, we knew when adults were talking, you were quiet and you were not in, in earshot and in their face and counting their cavities, as my mama would say. <laughs> and I also knew that we understood when our parents were on the phone or in an adult conversation or a, a conversation that for whatever reason we already knew at one, two, three years old was important, we were silent. We never would have been in the camera like that. We never would have been loud. And it just kind of floored me that in my mind and where I come from, she didn't have control of that mm -hmm. situation. And I expressed to Lee and everybody else that was in the group that I didn't know if I was triggered, I was traumatized, I was trained. I had no idea at that moment, but I just was waiting for the, you know, sit down. I know you see me on the, you know, the things that 
would have happened if yeah. I had ever yeah. been interrupting a, a business or an adult conversation like that. It, it just yeah. would not have happened. And again, I don't know when I learned that, but I knew that at that age that she was, I would not have done that. Yeah. Well, and I think what was so interesting is when you shared that, what happened was I have seen in spaces when a person of color actually speaks up, gets the nerve to say something, and immediately the people not of color immediately jump to defense, jump to, it turns into... Yes. It's this very, very, and I've been in it before and I've just watched this and I'm like, why are these conversations happening this way? Right. And instead what happened was we ended up having this really gorgeous conversation between multiple women in the group of like, wow, you know, I actually went through that same experience and I'm white. And then another woman said, you know, this happened to me, but it was like this. And we ended up in this conversation about trauma and about how we were trained to behave as children. And the real takeaway was, you know, yes, there are cultural and racial tendencies that we think, or that we think of as like generalizations. And we all have trauma, right? And it turned into this much bigger conversation that was like above and beyond race, but that also included race and included our cultural differences. And I just remember getting off of that call. First of all, I will say that being the facilitator for that call, I think I, I was highly activated that entire time. Because she, she, I didn't know what to say. And I said to Lee, I'm kind of afraid to say what I need to say because I don't know the words. And that it was at that moment where Lee like activated something to me and she said, you say it and I'll clean it up. Yeah. Ever since then. And I want to clarify that too, because I don't know if I've ever said that phrase on this podcast. What I mean by the clean it up is like, and it's, it's what I said at the beginning of, we have gotten to the point when we are having conversations about race or having conversations about gender, having conversations about sexism or whatever, where we are so, so careful with our words or we are almost afraid to speak. And so what's happening is we're not having these collective experiences where a black person can come in, feel safe enough to say the thing, have white people feel safe enough to receive the message to then incorporate that into their experience, compare, contrast it, to speak back and have these really powerful conversations. And this was not my, this is not my mission in life, but my husband and I were chatting about it and he was like, but it kind of is because for those of you who have never seen me in person, I'm a biracial woman. My, my dad's family's black. My mother's family's white. We do have indigenous culture on both sides, but I don't really claim it because it's not something that's well known or or really been part of my upbringing. And I'm very light skinned. So what I, (laughs) I say that I am black enough that black people recognize I'm black and I'm white enough that most white people don't recognize I'm black. That is, that is how I look when you look at me and depending on how my hair is too, because if, if I've got the 
the curls going, then, and then a lot of times the, the understanding of my race changes and race for me was always something that was really, really confusing. It was really confusing because I had people telling me, or, and I, and I, you know, it's like what you said at a very early age, you start to understand the social construct around your culture. And I understood that like one side of my family's culture was different than the other side of my family. And I also just like had a really hard time knowing where I fit into that. So like my whole experience of life up until very recently was just like trying to figure out who the hell I was in terms of race, because I never really felt like I fit in either. And so racism and racial disagreements to me have always just seemed like such an odd thing being someone who is multiple things. And so Marion, you were talking to me the other day about your experience as a black woman and in relation to white people growing up. Like, can you tell our audience more about that? Cause it was really good. Yes. So let me say now I am a bit nervous. So I'm speaking more grammatically correct, but let me say now that is going to change in a few minutes. The reason that I know it is because the more that I begin to talk about things, Mm-hmm. I will lose myself. I will stop trying to be so, you know, prim and proper. So, mm-hmm. but what I was telling Lee the other day is where I grew up and where I came, my only access to white people were two ways. My teacher at school and the white people that I knew from school were, that were from the trailer park. So I did not know a difference. The only white people that I knew that I, I thought, you know, just, just the words that I know were quality white people were our teachers. And where I grew up, you only came in contact with other black people, church, black people, you know, family gatherings, black people. The only other white, the only white people that I knew personally was from the trailer park or they lived in a project with us. So I didn't really look at them as white. They were having the same experience. They were getting picked on. They spoke like me. The only time we had to to correct our grammar was at school when our white teacher would say, we're not going to speak like that. That's Mm -hmm. not how we, all of the ain't in it. So those, those things are how we know how to speak properly now, because at school you could not speak that way. But that was my experience with white people. They were low income like us. They had food stamps like us. You know, we was outside getting dirty the same. That was my interaction with white people, they were looked at the same as me. So as I was talking to Lee the other day, I think that's when the kind of the reality that they were really white set in. I knew that they were white, but there was a trailer park, but they wasn't white. Like I call you white people and call you white names. And we never did that. We never said uh, racial slurs or anything. I don't even think we knew those because we were no different. Yeah. And none of us knew any different. And when I tell you these white people are white people that I knew, there were white people that was just like me from the trailer park. There was white people that got on the church bus with us and went to the black church with us because that was their only ride to Their mama didn't have a car. Our mama didn't have a car. They, you know, my mama didn't have a man in our house. And we'll get on that another time. But my mama was like, until I was a teenager, I thought women got pregnant at work. My mom worked three jobs all the time. 
my mama can't, my mama will be pregnant. My mama will have a baby. My mama would come home with that baby. And she'd say, hey, this is what this baby take. This is how many scoops you need to give it. And she was back at work. So I didn't have a daddy in my house. We had a daddy house that we went to. They didn't have a daddy in their house. I watched them experience. Now, the thing that I did see was they, they had more domestic violence in their, their white home mm-hmm. than we had in our black home or in our, our other black homes. Yeah. We lived in the project or they lived in a trailer, but I'll speak for the project. The ones that are in the project, you know, in the project, you ain't supposed to have no man there. So the black women were much more discreet about what they were doing. Mm. And when the man come back. So that was my white, I guess, so to speak. That was your experience. It wasn't one. When do you remember? Because for me, there was, there were a couple of distinct moments when I realized like, and I, I can only call it as realizing I was other than. Mm-hmm. When do you, or do you, were there any defining moments in your life when you were like, oh, I'm black, they're white, and that when means we, something? When we got, we moved, but we still lived in the project when we went to a different school. We moved and we started when we got to middle school. You know, when you get to middle school, more kids, different places mm-hmm. start to come. That's when I was in middle school, I think that's the first time I ever heard somebody, you know, say nigger or cracker. I, I, I had never heard it before. And that's the first time I ever saw and knew and probably formulated the word quality white people. Because that's yeah. the first time I saw the white kids that I grew up with being talked down to them by different, cleaner white people. When we were in elementary, like I said, our experience with speaking grammatically correct was our teacher. And our teacher, our white teachers did not treat us no different. They didn't say, you know, well, Chad, you know, this is it. And Mary, none of that. We all came to the school. They all taught us together. They all got onto us the same about the way we spoke and that. But when we got to middle school and we got around other kids that was from different neighborhoods, but we all were in the, the same section for the same school, that's when I, I knew that there was a difference, not so much in me being black, the, the quality, I'll, I'll find a better word when I know better, white people, they didn't really bother the black people. It was like it was expected for you to be poor, for you to get on free lunch, for you to be, but the white poor people, oh, they would wear them out. They would call them dirty. They would call them dingy. They would, you know, just all kinds of things. And which was hurtful to the black people who grew up with them. But at the same time, that's when you find the division. Because now it's like, do I help them and cut somebody out and fight somebody Mm. for them with them and and risk being called now the names? And now we're separating because now that person is going into a shell. Uh, We now have this separation and this fearfulness. They who grew up without us also are separating from us because now they realize that they want to be better than the one us yeah. who they grew up yeah. with. So yeah. now, so middle school is when I knew that not so much that black was considered lower, but my, my black trailer park project people were like quality for other white people. Yeah. So there's, there's two things I want to speak to here because one you know, one of the things we wanted to talk about was what I call capital R racism and lowercase r racism. Yeah. And what you're speaking to is classism, right? 
you are speaking to, so, so you're speaking to the level of income and where I live and my socioeconomic status and that determining my value in the world. And this is, this is why this is, and, and again, this is purely my conjecture, like my thought on this right now, we're in this time where we are really starting to look at racism in our country. We are starting to look at inequality. We're starting to do these things. And one of the things I don't see us talking about, which you so just beautifully spoke to is classism because most people in our country are not capital R racists. And what I mean by that is most people in this country are not people who, who explicitly think or would state that people who are not white are less than people who are white. And lowercase r racism is we have systems and structures in our country, literally from its inception, that have made it harder in many areas of life to be a person of color, to be a Black person. And those same systems and structures, some of them have made it harder to be a poor white person as well. And so when we start talking about racism and we talk about white privilege and we talk about how being white is a privilege in America, I'm thinking of, and I can't pretend to know how they, how people in that trailer park felt, right? I wasn't there. I can't, I can't say that. And I could imagine someone growing up in that experience, being told that they have white privilege, having a very hard time wrapping their brain around that. Yeah. And I think that this is where the conversation gets really sticky. And a lot of people avoid this part of the conversation. And I was like, I, and again, I, part of me wanted to avoid it on this podcast, but I was like, we're going to talk about it anyway, because there is such a thing as intersectionality, meaning all of my identities and how they add up to my experience, right? So you being a black woman in the South, you are going to have a different experience than being a white man in the North, right? Me being a biracial light-skinned woman, I'm going to have a different experience than a biracial dark-skinned man. So when we purely say that people of one race or of one sex or of one gender have it easier or have privilege over another, this can be a really hard concept to grasp. And I know for me, I'm thinking of, you know, you talking about your middle school experience, because I also had a middle school experience, but it was, it was actually different because I remember we had a program for black students and I can't remember what it was called, but it was like a minority program, right? And even looking at that now, I'm like, it's interesting that we had that in a primarily white neighborhood that they decided that they were going to make sure that we got cultural experiences mm -hmm. together. Oh, yeah. I have um, our racial experiences, too. We have that in the Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember getting on the bus and I remember, I, I, I'm not going to call him by name, but this kid who was also biracial, but looked, he was darker. He passed, he passed, or excuse okay. me, he didn't pass. He did not pass. Okay. And if, if any of my white friends are listening to that and don't know what that means, it means that like he can't pass as white, right? Like he looked black and I got on the bus and he's like, what are you doing here? And I was like, well, 
I'm in the minority club and we're going on the field trip. He's like, but you don't look black. Like why, why would you be on the bus with us? And I remember going like, oh, so like, do I actually get to claim this part? Do I get to claim being a black person if I'm not going to have the same experience as the average black person in America? And that really fucked me up (laughs) for a while. Yeah. And that, that definitely is, um, the experience in the, in the South is a bit different from that too. When you come up from where we're from, mixed biracial worship, the good hair. Mm. Oh my, the good hair. Yeah. Color struck is a word that comes yeah. to me because light skin, even though you're black, does something to very dark skinned Southern people slave mentality mm. when I tell well, you yeah yeah it, it does something to them like you are worshipped me I'm a I'm, I'm brown I'm not dark and I'm not light and I was treated as such me being brown skinned just brown I didn't catch hella hate but not hella love you yes. just kind of kind of kind of kind of missed over However, comma, if you are brown like me and you have those hazel green eyes. Yes. Oh, you back in the game. You, you, so I guess I, I, I don't know the words, that like classification. I just know the experience. Yeah. But now that we're talking and I'm understanding there is that divide, you know, that it's there. Oh, so this is colorism. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I just learned this term like, oh gosh, like about a year ago. And you know, who was talking about it was Jada Pinkett Smith. You know how they have, she has that red table talk with, with her mom and her daughter. I think it's her daughter. They were talking about this and there's a, that movie. And I never, I never saw it, but straight out of Compton. Did you see that movie? Okay. So there was a, the reason that they ended up talking about colorism and they brought this in was There was a casting call sheet and it rated women on a scale of A, B, C, D, E. And it was black women. And it was talking about the grade A women. These are the women we want you to try to find the most of. And it was Jenny with the good hair, right? It was, they had the skin color. They had the body shape. They had the eye color. They had the hair. They had all of these things. And This is something that was put out by Black producers, by Black casting agents. And so when we talk about prejudice and privilege and racism and all of these things, you know, this conversation goes so much deeper than just talking about white people. It does. And in my mom and them days, it was the uh, brown paper bag. Yes, that's how you tested. That's how you knew if you passed or not, is if your skin was lighter than the color of the brown paper, but the, the grocery bag. The grocery bag. And you were good to go. And what I also find so interesting is like I have clients and, and fellow coaches that I work with who live in other areas of the world. And one lives in South Africa. And my husband, who is white, I was telling him like, oh, she lives in South Africa. And he goes, oh, is she black or is she colored? And I was like, oh my God. I was like, what did you just say? And he's like, no, no, no. Like I'm not, I'm not being, they use those terms there, baby. And I was like, you know me, I'm like immediately on Google, like, hold on a second. Are you kidding me? 
Yeah. They they use and they spell it C O L O U R E D. Yes. And so I was like, wow, if you and this just goes to language too and the evolution of language, because if you called any, if you called a, a brown paper bag passing black person colored in the United States, we would have some problems. Oh yeah. On the news and everything. Yes. And so I just find it fascinating how, because race really is a construct. It is something we have made up, right? Mm-hmm. And the language and- it, up, it, it has been burnt. It is alive. Yes. And well. <sighs> it, is, it has been birthed and it is alive and well. Oh my gosh. Yes. Oh, that's something else right there. But yeah. 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 So, and I want to go back and speak to, and, and ask you and speak to something else you said, because I want, you know, the majority of my listeners, I believe are white, are white women. And I know right now, a lot of my white women friends are very uncomfortable because they really want, they are not capital R racists, right? Mm-hmm they really want to understand how to dismantle and to stop participating in the little R racism system. Okay. And they have no idea what to do. All right. So in my thoughts, in my mind, I think that white women who don't want to talk about it or who don't want to touch on it, they're not involved with it. They don't want a problem. They, they, they don't want to be problematic so they, they, they stay away, but they're still interested in how can I, what can I do? Well, I, I don't want to step on. I don't want to say, and it's the, that, that is their experience as well. I don't like this. I don't like how they did. You know, I'm here for it, but what do I do? Especially when every time they turn around or they want to do something, it is, you know, you got the, the white privilege. Can I just want to be a good person? Can I just be a good person? And then yeah. even with, with throwing around white privilege around, I'm not a white woman, but this is just in my mind. If that is the case, tell me how to effectively use this privilege since you say I got it. Yeah. Because everybody doesn't know what white privilege is. Everybody doesn't operate in a space of white privilege, just like every black person is not a criminal, is not a problem, is not a then it is the same. I am probably one of those rare people that understand that and know that. And my experiences as a high school and an adult Black woman with white women, quality, educated, was very different from my middle school situation. When I work with white women, you know, it's very different. Now they want to help. They come and see about you for real. Like, they invite you over, but not in a space of, I, I need to have at least two black people at my house. No, yeah. I love you and you better come over here. And if you don't show up, I'm coming to drag you out because you, you need to be here. It is okay. And and the ones that I know and involved with, even from at work and even if I didn't visit with them outside of work, were so good to me. And if anybody has something different to say, let me tell you something about white people. They are about that life. You hear me? When they are with something and for somebody, look, y'all, I'm getting yeah. a little back to y'all, but this is just, you know. No, I, you're, I, you're I, right. 
they care for you. They live how they live. You living how you live. You ain't bothering nobody. Everything. You got the first time to come out your neck and the side of your face uh, uh, up against somebody who ain't doing nothing. Oh, they're coming. Yeah. They are coming. And they mean that. And in those moments, they're not thinking about privilege. They're thinking about right and wrong. You just yeah. wronged this person. Black, white, purple, orange. You wronged this person. I, Sarah, Jane, whatever my name is, is coming up on you and in your face and getting on your ass because that person was minding their business, putting their groceries in the car, picking their children up, and you brought your ass from way over there questioning them, asking them how many groceries could they buy? Did you buy them a food stamp? So did you yeah. buy them a credit card? Did you? They will get on your ass. So I'm I'm grateful for the conversation because people do need to know what I need, what I'm saying and, and what I live as a black woman. They also need to know if I have something to say about how they can assist and how they can help. I want to be able to say that too. And I want to be get out of a space where I'm stop saying they. I yeah. want to say my sisters yeah. are helping, not they or the white women or the, I don't want to call them pronouns. I want to call them sister. I want to call them Mary. Hey, how you doing? It's Mary. This is what's going on. I don't want you. Can you get some of your white friends? Can you? I don't want to be they. I want to say, hey, Martha, Jane, Sarah, Barbara, let's meet together yeah. and go do such and such. Not, okay, I'm going to get this group of black women together and we're going to call up our white friends. No, no. I want to call up my friends. I want to call up my yeah. sisters. I need to get out of the point of the, the saying they. It's not a they. You're not a they. Them. And this is this is what I'm curious about. Because this is something I have been feeling. And I don't think I had the words around the feeling until you just said what you said. I think at some point, when we start focusing so much on differences, it makes it harder to unify like that's what I'm hearing right because I have a lot of white friends who are like I now I'm afraid to say anything now I'm afraid if I invite a black woman to do something that it's going to look like I'm doing that I'm being I'm participating in tokenism you know like I'm just using them for their skin I watched this conversation in, in a large Facebook coaching community or entrepreneur community the other day and I had to just I was like, you're not going to change anybody's minds here. So let's just exit stage left. Right. But like, I'm, I'm watching this and it's a white woman talking to the other white women in the group saying that they need to make sure that if they have a panel of all white people on their summit or on their thing, that they need to be making sure that they are putting people of color on those panels or hiring them and doing these things. And I said, how about this? You're almost there. (laughs) You're close. How about you start putting yourself in spaces where there are more diverse people, finding people you love to work with and putting those people on your panels and the likelihood that you will have a diverse panel will go way up. What I do not want is to be the token passable black person on your panel to make people feel better about attending your your thing. Yeah. And I actually, there's some nuance here because that is white saviorism. That is, I'm going to use my privilege 
to help you poor black, like, you know, you can't do this on your own. You can't do this on your own. So I have to help you. Yeah. As opposed to, no, I'm not going to go out and find quality black coaches. What I'm going to do is put myself in diverse spaces and hire quality coaches that happen to be black. And I say this because I never realized how diverse my community was until someone pointed that out to me. And they asked, they were like, how did you build? It was a white person. They were like, how did you build such a diverse community? And I was like, by not focusing on diversity and just really putting myself in spaces with lots of different people. And they were like, yeah, but like, how do you get them to join? And I said, by creating a safe space where they're not going to feel like this is going to be all about their race or their ethnicity or their religion. And I heard that. And what you were just saying of like, I worry there is a real concern, a real, a real like gnawing in my stomach about when I look out at how we are participating in this movement of anti-racism and of all of these things right now, because I actually, there is a part of me that like, there's so much good happening. And there is another part of me that is watching the behind the scenes and seeing how this is actually causing some big problems. Yeah, even with the of color, of color is starting to be said so much more than in black, more than African-American. Yeah. And are we thinking that this is okay? I am still a black woman, not of color. The color is here. It's not of, it's not olive. It is here. So I'm, I'm very mindful about that. And I also need, you know, well, not just me, but we need black, white, whatever, a way to correct without being like an angry space. Like, don't please don't feel like I'm correcting you out of your disrespecting me. I just would yeah. like you to know that of color and African-American are different things. Thing. Well, and I don't know if you remember the whole conversation around Vice President Harris, right? Uh-huh. I actually said I had this conversation on my Facebook wall and a bunch of white people were like, wait a second, what? I said, you know, African-American and black are not the same thing. I said, and in fact, most people that we, you know, we've gone from Negro colored to African-American, most black people that I know prefer black these days because they're like, I'm not, I don't relate. Well, I am, I'm not African. That's right. And And in fact, the true African-Americans that I know are the first generation, like their parents moved here from Africa Mm -hmm. and they are African-American. Like they are the ones that actually really, that I have talked to. And again, this is just my personal experience. I'm not speaking for everyone. The people I have talked to are like, yeah, I identify more with that term, right? I've seen the new term ADOS, African descendant of slavery. And I'm fine with that. Like, I am fine with whatever term you would like to use to define your identity and what is so important. And you are allowed to correct people. You are allowed to tell people the term that you would like to be called and the Mm -hmm. term that you would like them to use. And we get to have some like cultural consideration for people who have maybe been using terms 
for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years for us to just suddenly be like, nope, that's no longer the appropriate term. Mm -hmm. It takes people a minute. Right. And it does. And I'm here for that, even with like the Afro-Latina. But here's my kind of thing. Yeah. We appreciate the names. We appreciate the acronyms, Mm -hmm. but we would appreciate more some things done because the title, you know, changing what call me is not changing my situation. Yeah. It's not changing oh, what's happening for yes. me. So let's, let's, you know, even Webster, when they add a new word, they watch the word for a minute. They look at what the word is doing. They watch what the word is doing, if it's transitioning, if it's helping, if it's hurting, if it's going to be beneficial to the world. Then in their research, they put a definition on what this is from the gathering of the research. So you give me ADOS, but what are you giving me? Do I get a scholarship? Do I get a course? Do I get an understanding? Do I, am I implemented in school? What is this doing for me of yeah. color? That just says, I know that the Spanish people, uh, you know, that the, the of color people are still being done wrong, but let me appease them by putting, giving them a little title. I need more. Just I know, right? I, say, I, don't, I don't want to call my white sisters they. The same thing. I don't want to just be African-American, Black, or whatever, because you want to put me something nice over it to make it sound better, but you're treating me the same. Yes, you might not use the N-word. Maybe you use E. You might not use E-R. You may use A. You may use U-H, but you're still downplaying me. What are you doing to fix what you're calling me? Because I'm still African-American, Black, whatever, but I'm still underpaid. I'm still being treated unfairly. I'm still, you know, the things is what I need. I don't need another type. No, you don't need, we, you don't need like the, the showboating and the grandstanding of like, oh, look what we're doing here. It's, it's the, oh, there's a word for it. I can't think of what it is right now, but like, and, and this is something that I think is really big because there are some prominent organizations and I'm not going to say their names, but there are some prominent organizations out there right now that are on paper, forward-facing, committed to changing these deep-seated things <laughs> and behind closed doors, not changing those things. And, and not providing what they have generated revenue from. Thank you. Yes. I'm so well. glad we're having the same conversation here oh, without yeah. having I'm the conversation. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so there's all this money coming in to serve this particular community, this particular minority community, and yet I'm not seeing any change. And the reason also I wanted to have this conversation is because if y'all have been listening to me for a hot minute, or if you, if maybe this is your first podcast, my work as a coach, yes, I work with business and yes, we do strategy and, and, and I help people with their relationships and their self-love and confidence and all these things. And when you get really deep down into the work that I do, I help people dismantle and release shame. I help people dismantle and burn down the ideas and the beliefs that have been planted in them that there is something wrong with them. Not something wrong with their actions or their habits, something wrong in their core, wrong with them. That is the work that I was put on this earth to do. And racism is a shame machine, right? I'm literally shaming you. I'm telling you, you are less than, you are not worthy. 
And some of the things that we are doing in the name of anti-racism are shameful. And what I mean, I should, I don't even want to say the word shameful. They're shaming. They are perpetuating shame. We are making people feel bad and feel like there is something wrong with them in a way to get them to change their behavior. And what I will say is this, is every single time, if you want to go back in history, every single time shame is used in this manipulative way, it never ends well. No. And this is my fear. When you shame me into something, that's the reason that I'm doing it and feeling it. But when I realize, you know, also known as uprising and and all Mm -hmm. that, when I realized that there was nothing wrong with me, there was no shame, there was nothing that I was doing that is incorrect, shame is turning into anger and anger is turning into action that is not always positive because yeah. I am trying to for let's just take the, the black and the generations and the generations and all of the things and all of the killings and all of the how how the retaliation happened because that rage and, and 2020 is hindsight runs together and when I begin to think of all of the things and all the opportunities and all of the thoughts that I felt about myself if I don't properly know how to articulate and function in that, it can and will become animalistic. Yes. And then you're going to get blamed for the very things you're going to confirm their worst fears. Yes. This is why, this is one of the things like to kind of talk about racism itself, because we've talked about anti-racism, but racism itself, this is when you over generations tell a group of people that they are less than when you tell them that there is no real way for them to win there are always going to be some people in that population that fight against that that don't ever internalize it that are resilient from the start yet the vast majority of people if you tell them for a long time you're worth nothing you can be sold as property your labor is worth worth less than the than the tool you're holding and this isn't just black you know this is people period though it, yeah from that, if you tell me every day of my life that you're not going to be anything different for me you're going to be on welfare you're going to have all these kids you're going to be a project morning noon and night before you go to bed we don't pray this morning i'm telling you again by the time you're 13 yeah you're going to have your first child by the next in the afternoon, in the evening, before you go to bed. I believe that. That is what you are instilling in me until I don't, which was kind of like the experience that I had from elementary school. I did not know anyone was different. Then I hit middle school, and that's when I heard the languages. I found out that there were differences. I were, you, because when you were in an isolated space, that's just called a project, an isolated space. hmm what you see here is teenage pregnancy, food stamps, nobody works, everybody got the colored hair, the baby daddies come in and out with their gold teeth and the boom, boom, boom in their cars. They only come by to make more babies. And, and, and every day, this is what you see. This is what you hear. Now, I will say this about my mom. She didn't do that, but she did other things. But she would tell us every day, 
We, we live in the project, but we are not project. So yeah. we didn't go outside, which came back to haunt me. We didn't go to the school in the neighborhood. However, we didn't get away from it either. Yeah. yeah. So kind of what she tried to do was still counterproductive. Well, and, um, and but that's the thing is I think that it's like the experience that we talked about that you had in that pleasurable, my membership community call where you were like, wait a second, other people have these traumas too. Yes. There are, I have plenty of white friends who grew up in rural America who are like, you're going to stay in this neighborhood, this small town. You're going to marry a local guy. You're going to have a bunch of babies. You're going to go to church down on the corner. Yeah. Guess what we are? We are nice. We are nice people. So we are not going to speak about the horrors that are happening inside our own homes mm-hmm. outside of this home. And we're going to look the other way when, when mom drags dad out of the bar. Yeah. We're going to look the other, like, this isn't going to be a conversation when dad hits mom. Right. Mm-hmm. And you grow up thinking that's normal. One of the things that this little R racism, that systemic racism has really created. And, and this is why when people are, I'm like, it's not a black or a white issue. It's a systems issue. And the problem is, is that when you have people in power who don't understand the experience of other people that they are in power over as much as they try, they are not going to be able to adequately understand the experience and regulate and make rules around that experience. Right. Right. There's a a documentary called, I think it's called the 13th, about the 13th Amendment. And it talks about how we set up our drug laws and our prison laws here in the United States. And that system is so profoundly racist and so consumerist. We have for-profit prisons in the United States. Mm -hmm. For-profit prisons. Which means, does it serve a for-profit prison to release more people? Not at all. So if I can make laws that, you know, don't inherently look racist on the outside. However, the difference between freebasing cocaine and smoking crack is nothing. But the sentencing for cocaine, which is a drug that typically white people use, Versus the sentencing for crack, which is a drug that typically Black people use, mm-hmm. are profoundly different. And if you don't believe me, go look it up. Yeah, you don't got to tell me. My, my biological, biological I know you know. I'm talking to the yeah. listeners. Like, if oh, you yeah. don't believe me, go look yeah. this up. For real. We have a system where we are talking about dismantling racism, and yet we have cities in our country where... The rate at which Black people are killing each other is so high. Mm-hmm. And yet it's so interesting because no one's stepping in and trying to really help that change. Mm-hmm. And we still have sundown towns. If you don't know what a sundown town is, oh, we, yeah. Please. we know all about a sundown town. That what is a sundown is, town? It's a town or a place, there's several of them here in Georgia, and there's a couple in California, that my skin color better not be seen there after the sun goes down. And what is so crazy about these places is they are the most beautiful black 
people-friendly towns during the day. Everybody is wonderful. Oh, come in, sit down and eat all of the things. And if you don't know where you are, I dispatch trucks. One of my selling points is a lot of my, the people who reach out to me, they are Black. Yeah. When they tell me the places that they want to go, and I tell them, all right, thank you so much. But this place, this place, and this place will not be visible. Mm. They're like, well, I hear it's a lot of money in there. And I, I also understand that there's a responsibility that I have as your dispatcher to get you home. This mm. is a sundown town. This is not a place that I want you to be this. And once I explain that to them, they, they feel like, oh, man, she really looking out for me. But I really am looking out for you. Yeah. But these places are, they've been around for a long time. The police are heavily involved because that's who, you know, the dispatch. They, they still got the CDs. You know, do you see this car? You know, they're still here, you know. And if you want to get, a, there's a, a show. I can't think of what it was called, but I'll think of it another time. But just start doing kind of your research on some things. And we have to educate ourselves on things like that. And it's so crazy. The things that we as Black people have to check out and look into and be mindful of that others do not. Like that would not be a thought that probably wouldn't be a, a thought in a lot of Black people's minds either because they just, we just sometimes just live yeah. in this thing. But just some of the things that are just so off and off kilter, like who would have ever been thinking about that? But it's something that's oh, in my yeah. mind. So these are things and it is really still dangerous we're dangerous to each other, as Lee just said about these towns and places that just continuously kill each other and nobody's looking looking for it. They're but that's the thing that. is, yeah. is I, and when I said that too, I don't want the focus to be on the fact that black people are killing black people. I want the focus to be on the fact that that does not matter does it to matter? some Correct. people. Correct. And we are having these massive, massive rallies, which I think are good. I think it's good that we are calling attention to when people who are in power are abusing that power. Mm -hmm. And again, it's what are we missing when we're watching this? It's the magic show of the, of the people in charge. What are they distracting me with over here? So I don't see this over here. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't even, I'm not even going to pretend to have any, any or all of the answers for any of this. My only take on it, and the, the thing that I try to do, one listener, one client, one, you know, person at a time, is to help them to release that shame, to reclaim their power, to help them realize that there's nothing fucking wrong with them, including the color of their skin, least of all the color of their skin, or their sex, or their gender, or their orientation, or whatever. And to build that resiliency, I say something that I know triggers people. And I say, you know, you really, no one can oppress me unless they kill me. And when I say that, a lot of people are like, oh, but you know, this is coming from a place of privilege or this is coming from a place of, you know, if you were this person in this neighborhood or you had this color skin. Or, and I say, yes, I'm not saying that the likelihood of me being killed is not less because I am a light-skinned passing right biracial woman. But what I am saying is I have decided that these systems don't get to decide how powerful I am. And that is something that I really work to help my clients understand too. 
while also deeply acknowledging that my ability to say that statement may feel much easier for me than it does for someone else. But I just think, wouldn't it be such a cool world if we could get to the point that everybody believed that? And where we stopped trying to judge and oppress and shame other people in an attempt to not be judged and shamed and oppressed. That's all I got to say. Yeah. And, and we, we just, we're, we're starting here. Like the community is here, you know, it, it will, but I'm, I'm just so grateful to be in a space where I am. However, inadvertently it may be learning. And that's one of the things too. I, I never really knew that other people go through the things. Yeah. And on, and also what we know and perceive, this is another kind of touching one, as as white people stuff. Yeah. I don't know if you ever yeah. heard that before, but there. Um, yeah, yes, I have heard that. Yes. I have well, heard that at the dinner table. That's not my people. That's your people. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. White people stuff. And there are things that we think that, oh, I know that was a white person. And we got that honest. Like we didn't know that that's not a, a good thing yeah. to say. But yeah. when we hear as black people certain things that we hear on the news, or we just hear or we know that's gonna be coming up, you just kind of be like, I know that wasn't what I have come to know some things as an adult that that it's not a white or a black people thing, it's a people thing. It's a people but thing. things like this, platforms like this, spaces like the rebel community. I'm learning. I'm releasing. I'm just like, I've ne- I don't think I've had the, the opportunity to be in an intimate space with white people who are going through and experiencing the things that I am and have and probably will experience. I have been, you know, with my, my white friends. We're at work. We're out. We're partying. We're having a barbecue. You know, it's really nice. We're having a good time with being ourselves, but we're not tapping into the things. Yeah. We don't have a need. Yeah. You know, we're here for the barbecue. We're here for the, yeah. car- the cards and dominoes. We're going to laugh. You know, if something is like really, really going on, it's real courteous. Hey, you know, if, if, if anybody feels any kind of way about this, but I just want to ask, you know, how do you feel about such and such going on yeah. in politics? Not going too far, but just being a little nice. And if it's yeah. like, no, we're not going to do that. It's done. But this here, this, the talking and the experiences that I'm having in the rebel community is just like, I need to know this because you help people get to the shame. You help people get to the root of things, overcome, deal, you know, come into it, say it, whatever, however. And you and I would not have gotten there with just you and I. Yeah. Because you and I can have conversations and you're going to understand what I'm saying. I'm going to understand what you're saying. We're going to do what we do and revisit again. But being in the rebel community and seeing, experiencing other people having the same thing, seeing that, okay, even with a baby girl, like she's not going to have her sit down. She's not going to like, and, and automatically to me, it's just like, again, am I trained? Is she not? But understanding that her parenting style, her, her things are different, but also understanding the, the come up. In the same talking with, like I said, I can remember when I when I was about three, I knew to be quiet when adults were talking and my mom yeah. was on the phone handling her business. Although I don't know where I got that from, it 
held on to me all this time. And when I saw baby girl doing that, I'm thinking, okay, I know the hands of Jesus is about to come down (laughs) any moment now, but that's trauma. Like I am- That is trauma. And also it it does did something else to me. It brought, I realized now that it is trauma, but at the same time I was thinking, if she don't make her sit down and be quiet, we're going to have to cut this off. So it also tells me that I took on those things. Because I expected her to say and do something like, I know you see we on here trying to have this, you know, but by the time we were done, there was an understanding there. And it also taught me that I don't know balance. I I didn't know balance Mm -hmm. because with growing up like that, knowing quote unquote, your place, your mom, especially single moms, I don't know. I don't know anything about a two parent household. So I, I, I'm speaking from a one. Yeah. Your mama didn't have balance because she had the strong hand. So I already taught you all early, the potty train, to be quiet, to do the things. Because I don't have time to deal with that. I got to deal yeah. with life in my business. Yeah. So you need to yeah. already know how to look at the, after your brother and sister. You need to already know how to come in here and use this microwave or put this in the oven right here. I don't care that you're four years old. You need to already know how to do this because I don't have time. You need to already know. So there was an expectancy that I put on that baby who was just being a baby because I didn't have that. And I didn't know how to recognize that and do that and be that. Mm. And y'all forgive me if I get a little emotional because I, I just knowing that my life, sh- I don't say should have. Because because of those things is who I am today and who I'm going to get ready to even be even greater and be able to share this and recognize this for other people. But before that moment, I did not realize that I didn't have that opportunity yeah. to, to scream and holler and crawl on my mama and demand her attention and, and that type of thing. And I expected a baby to be patient and be quiet and let her mom do business. It's a lot. I want to end this here. Not because I could not continue talking to you for (laughs) several hours. Because I want what you just said to have its weight. We don't know what we don't know until we know it. And the best way to know, to find out what you don't know is to get into spaces that are unlike what you know. So with that being said, Marion, thank you so, so much. This conversation has literally been everything. I am so incredibly grateful for you. Y'all, we're going to drop Marion's contact info and the links to her books in our show notes. So please reach out to her. Please connect with her. And we would also love to see you in Pleasure Rebel with us. Come hang out with us. We would love to have these kinds of conversations with you and get to know you and and welcome you into our community. So yeah, thank you, Marian. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for hanging with me for today's episode. Be sure to head to the App Store and leave us a five-star rating and share with a friend or two if you really enjoyed today's episode. And if you'd like even more content from me, then you're definitely going to want to check out my newest offering, the Pleasure Rebel Membership. 
This is a membership course unlike any other, and I am so excited to be bringing it to you all at a fraction of the price of what it normally costs to work with me. I always like to say that living a pleasure-focused life in today's society as a woman is an act of rebellion. So come practice your rebelliousness with me in the Pleasure Rebel membership. Doors close April 5th.